Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is April 1st, 2020, and April showers. I mean, it's not raining yet. Well, it's not raining in my house, for sure. Well, (laughs) it's going to be all those tears lubricating the path to freedom and you're going to be like what are you talking about Tori that's okay it's April Fools I could say whatever and it's just April Fools but I'm not doing an April Fool show today because I like to go by the Julian calendar see that's a little bit more solid because <laughs> you know it was changed no one asked it was just changed so maybe I'll have an April Fool show when the Julian calendar says it's April Fool's Who knows? But it's April Fool's today, so let's just go with it. There is a feeling in the air. And it's almost magical. Because for some reason, nobody can sleep at night. Everyone's tossing and turning, yet they've never felt more invigorated. We're all broke, right? We all are. You know, I mean, come on, all of you laugh with me. That's all we could do is laugh and pray because in the end, we'll realize that it's each of us that take care of each other because that's the way God intended it. And that's why I put out that tweet this morning where I said, you know, when, when, when Jesus told everyone, that he was, you know, the king of the kingdom and that he was the son of God. They mocked him. They were like, come on, loser. You're a carpenter's son. Your mom had you illegitimately. We all know it. Uh, you know, you're broke. You don't have a job now. You're wearing rags and you're walking around preaching. Yet he never had zero shelter. He never had an empty stomach and he never got sick. And that's because everybody with love was there. Miriam, the prostitute, right? Who found God. She never went hungry again. She never had a prostitute again. They always had some food. They always had money. They always had shelter. They had abundance because they were a unit. See, unification And understanding that you are an individual because you set that boundary as an individual. But in fact, you're part of a union, a union of humanity. What is happening right now is insane. This unseen war has been, you know, depicted in ancient times, you know, in the skies away from the earthly plane, right? It's just like in the sky, this war had been going on. It it had been, I mean, you can see uh, ancient Indian, you know, documents. Uh, We can go back to other scriptures. I'm just saying, So there are wars and battles being fought every day that you have no idea exist. And you know what? It's because you don't want to know. Because when you know, how can you sleep? And this is why everyone can't sleep lately. Because you're tapping into that web. Speaking of web. Okay. So I've managed to get my computer to work on safe mode. Okay. Uh, I spent 
a great deal of time with tech support for the subscribe star site. Guys, listen to this, okay? Apparently, I had all my subscribers on something called like a um, what is it? How did he say it? Like a testing period? I I, I totally. Oh, I was working on it. <laughs> I was working on it in the afternoon, and then again in the evening, and I went to bed at like one a.m. Um, because you know I do other radio shows. I tweeted it out, and I got a lot of feedback from a lot of you. I just wanted to say you were surprised that I was fluent. When I say I'm fluent in a language, it means you can't tell the difference. Uh, I'm a really good linguist. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. Um, but, you know, I do other shows too. I, I was on um, on air. Um, it's an Afghani channel, but, you know, resonating from Kazakhstan. Then I did the whole Greek thing. Anyway, before I forget. So I finally got it to work. I'm going to take it as a message from, you know the creator that it wasn't time because how does that happen? How does it happen that only a percentage and, and I don't have tons of subscribers, right? I don't, but let's pretend I have 10, right? Only like two got to see the next episode that I, I did on the 13th, 14th of March or something like that. And then none of the others. So it's really bizarre um, how that is. And obviously, my computer's not working. So I don't have that audio. So I'm being very careful on my end because what I have to do is play it from there because I did something dumb. Instead of using Simplecast to actually put it out there, I did a direct upload because I wanted you guys to have exclusivity for it rather than, you know... um, you know, feel like somebody else might be able to listen and, you know, you're paying $5 and, you know, so I have to be very careful because what I have to do, which is really weird. And this, I'm telling you, I'm on safe mode. Like I am on life support right now, um, for my computer, not literally. Um, (laughs) I have to record the recording that's being played on the computer. So I completed one recording and I'm going to be putting it up right after the show. I had to tidy it up obviously because you know, it's recording the recording. Do you know what I'm saying? Anyway. So I just wanted to say that to my subscribers because you know, what's insane. It's like, Oh my gosh, it's totally not fair. I really wanted them to be in the know two weeks ago. Um, And those of you that were able to bizarrely have access to it, and it was two individuals that I saw that I was just like, why did they get access but nobody else? Pretty bizarre. Um, But, you know, they all came, oh my gosh, did you hear there was an earthquake? And it's like, uh, you know, these people are dumb. All of them are dumb remember dumb and they are in full panic mode that's what i want you guys to remember they are out (laughs) sheep's clothing no more they're not going to show you red blue anything they're just out teeth are out and you know i was happy to see on twitter yesterday one listener was like oh my gosh you did tell us and it stopped the bias right you told us the president kept saying don't go get tested unless it's necessary huh and now they're discovering the coronavirus tests were being are contaminated with coronavirus so what you're saying is while you're going through the drive through and they're and you're sticking this thing up your nose that they could be giving you coronavirus. I mean, they need the numbers, right? They need the numbers because 
See, the president made them own it yesterday, you guys. That was awesome because they wanted to put him in that box, right? Oh, you told us it was so many people going to die and they didn't. And it's like he didn't do that. He's like, well, you know, I have my own numbers, but I'll let the scientists talk the science. Here you go. He paraded them around. I told you he was. He's not stupid. Who knows? He might have you know, some ability to foresee the future in some way, right? He knew it was coming. I mean, these guys are so predictable. And I told you about Fauci, right? I told you how he would tell people they were infected with HIV. Well, not him only, right? The whole division, right? Or they would infect people with HIV just to be able to test their drugs. What did he call it? To see the toxicity. Same stuff he's been talking about right now with coronavirus. But see, everyone keeps saying China, China, China. They're the enemy. They're the enemy. China is nothing more than the pilot plan of the deep state. We created China. We created the communist Chinese party. We did it. We did it. It was the plan. And if I were Chinese, I'd be pissed that they took my thousands and thousands of years of culture and peed all over it to dominate the world. So when people are like, oh, Diane Feinstein had a Chinese spy, John Brennan, he worked with China. <sighs> no, he worked with the intelligence community. That is their pet project. People need to see it. And President Xi got in a lot of trouble. How dare he bite the hand that fed him? You were okay with committing genocide, President Xi. You were okay with letting us do this, President Xi. So now what? Well, we're going to hold you. We're going to tell the world what you did. But we all know that someone that repents, someone that, that really repents, can't be touched. You can air their laundry out all you want. And it's like, so? We're at this point where they realize they're done. They're finished. All the teeth are coming out. It's like I told you he was dancing with the devil. This dance with the wolves out there is funny because they've just shed their clothing and you're seeing them all on the left, on the right, up, down. They're there. And sometimes you have to wonder, how does this president do it? Yeah. Ask him. Like not one reporter asked the president, how are you doing with this coronavirus? How is, how are you feeling? You know, you have a child, you have a wife, you have family. How are you feeling in this turmoil? No one asked him because they don't even, they haven't even personified, you know, he's not a human. We shouldn't even make him look human. He shouldn't look human when he looks gorgeous and super cute no matter what his age is when he does that smirk or you, or you see him hug his grandchild you just melt and you're like oh my god he's such a good person because you could see it see and that's the difference between written word spoken word and visualized word see we're beings of understanding and we have different input methods we've been over this before right and so when you read an article, you read it, but you can't hear the person telling you because the sound gives you the emotion behind it, right? So that's something you have to think of because April's going to be a huge month. I mean, we've got the IG report now coming back into session. Hmm. 
all these judges left, you know, the portal of Tartarus, right? <laughs> is it, what, what do we call it? Gitmo. All of them. I mean, you know, sessions can come in session. Who knows? We're unsealing things at an insane rate. There's going to be a roundup. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I, was, I was joking with a friend of mine yesterday in between my drama while it says safe mode all over my computer. And um, we were talking and he was like, oh my gosh, could you imagine if we like end up and we see each other? in a prison and I was like yeah if it was Hillary be like hey what are you doing here hey what are you doing here and I'd be like dude we'd know if we were in the good place or the bad one the gulag depending on the other people that were there so we're gonna see mass corona bracelets coming to coming to public you know coming up you have to remember the key here so you can see what's going on is to question why is it that Huber prosecuted the people that were harassing Adam Schiff, Schumer, and now Pelosi? You have to think, why did he make this, you know, come to light right now? Because everything has a purpose. Right? Everything has a purpose. Every single thing. Remember, when I went through the most unexpected most unexpected attack in my area, personal, you know, personal, right? I was right there where I told you, man, why didn't they call me in? I had the DNC server, but you know why? Because one already gave it to them and that's coming back because now we had an attorney subpoena documents from the FBI. Wrong place to look, buddy. I'm just saying, maybe you should ask the Central Intelligence Agency. They might have more. But the thing is, which Central Intelligence Agency? The clowns or the new and improved version that's transparent that's coming to fruition? That's the question we have to ask. Then you have these recordings because remember, when uh, you know when Comey was fired, right? He wasn't allowed to get on the plane to come back. He had to make his own way. Do you know why? Because these planes that, uh, you know, transport our president, the vice president, the FBI director, Secretary Pompeo, or, you know, an attorney general like Loretta Lynch are tapped to the T. Everything is recorded outside, inside. We got eyes everywhere. Flies on walls. Could you imagine if all of this stuff just came out in April? Like, wait a minute. You weren't talking about grandkids. What were you talking about here? Oh, dear. And then, you know, all of this is coming into perspective with the scanner, you know, oh, boom. And then it's like, whoa, nuclear. And then you're thinking, wait a minute, nuclear. So how is North Korea getting weapons? Was it through Iran? Was it paid or done under the guise of uranium one transaction? Like, how was the money laundered back to you? laundered back to you through you or anyone? I don't know. I mean, how did the FBI comply with all of this? And the FBI falls under the jurisdiction, I guess, and oversight of the Department of Justice. So how did they play in? And then you have to wonder why, you know, uh, you know, as they all fall into this mesh, 
right? You're thinking, oh man, it's like seeing high school all over again. The little clicks, the cover-ups, the in the background. And then you have Mueller that comes in like he's going to rescue all of them. All he did was fail miserably because he was a parent. If he really wanted something to happen, it's like he would have called in the right people, you know, like people that had part of the DNC server, which no longer obviously have it because that's not being smart. (laughs) So we see that now that the Democrats have pulled their own pants down with their legislation, didn't they? Whoa, what happened with the Kennedy Center? I mean, you know, while you're at home and being quarantined, they've got fact checkers hard at work. How dare you say that the Kennedy Center donated $5 million? Wait a minute. They were broke. We got the leaked audio. They were broke and they got $25 million of taxpayer dollars, still fired all the musicians and then gave money, $5 million, even though they're supposedly broke to the DNC. And, oh, and suddenly these unions are coming up with millions of dollars to be like, oh, maybe we can like do this for coronavirus. Maybe you all should come and get tested. Come here. Come here. Oh no. Tainted. Are you kidding? No. Check it yourself. Why don't you put it up your nose first and let's see. They want you to vote by mail. Oh yeah. Well, you want Trump bucks, right? So we're going to verify where you are. And if you're an American citizen, you get Trump bucks. And if you're an American citizen, you get a ballot. See, because the checks, (laughs) okay, the checks are going to be corresponding with your taxes. Can you see where I'm going with this? Corresponding with your taxes, corresponding with your citizenship, they know where you live, you need Trump bucks, and if you're not an American citizen, you don't get Trump bucks, and you don't get a mail-in ballot. Because think, how many illegal migrants make over 150,000 years. I mean, they do, but they don't report it. So that means they get no Trump bucks. They don't get, you know, screened for Trump bucks and they don't get a mail-in ballot win-win situation. Get what I'm saying? So now we have, you know, borders, you know, being accepted. We want to shut everything down, build up that wall and just America first, American made, poke everything else. Military's in place. We got ships in place. Man, is this going to be huge. For a month that's only 30 days long, it's going to be pretty wild. It's going to be pretty wild. And, you know, I feel sad that there are people that don't remember things as they happen. They don't remember how uh, it happened. Hmm. April is usually the month of, it's the fourth month of the year. And it's usually the most forgettable month. Did you know that? People remember the month of January because it's, um, you know, New Year's, whatever. February for Valentine's Day. March, you know, is usually spring break, Easter. They think of these things. But people forget April. And you have to wonder, why is it that people forget April? Because it starts off with the first day telling you that you can lie. So, uh, you know, subconsciously, you believe that anything that happens in April, it's a lie. Kind of like when... um, Um, you know, remember two years ago where we were talking about sock puppets, 
I actually wrote an article about it back in 2018 about how in 2009, DARPA (laughs) worked with Twitter. And, you know, the personal Twitter account that I had that had tens of thousands of followers was banned the minute I started publishing things about citizen log. People call it life log or Facebook, right? (laughs) Because it was real. I was dropping serious MOUs like legit documents. Documents you can't really get because I have the attorney general's office of three different states denying their existence until I sent it back and said, well, looks like you just broke the law of open records. I mean, I even gave you the title of the document. You said it doesn't exist. And they're like, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't have it. Stop bothering me. And I respond to the email saying, you mean you don't have this document with the attorney general's signature right there? The one that you signed so many years ago? Are you kidding? That's when they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know how I oversaw that. Oh, just a coincidence happened in Every single state I sent the email. Every single one. I mean, it was either under the name John or Tory, whichever. I mean, sometimes people need, you know, to have a male figure because apparently males are a little bit more dominant, you know, because they're the ones that hunt. We gather and we think for the females, right? That's that's usually the way we've been trained uh, to think so. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to say that these are these things are going to be happening under the month under the guise of April Fools. You know, it was in April that Comey threw Loretta Lynch under the bus, if you remember. Someone has to think, what did they discuss? What was the quid pro quo? to sell out America once again because they've been selling us out again and again and again. This is not, these people, just so you understand, these people hate you. They are willing to kill Americans to get what they want because you are not worth them losing their seat. These people have been in power way too long. I mean, Diane Sawyer, whatever. So I thought a good way for us to start this and discuss this is to put one of my favorite people that, like many of us that have been fighting the right um, war, have had great um, obstacles, both visible and invisible, uh, in their... um, proximity. So take a listen to this. I want every American to be prepared for the hard days that lie ahead. We're going to go through a very tough two weeks. And then hopefully, as the experts are predicting, as I think a lot of us are predicting after having studied it so hard, you're going to start seeing some real light at the end of the tunnel. Let's bring in Kellyanne Conway. She is the counselor to the president. Good morning to you, Kellyanne. Good morning. Good morning. So that was a sombering message. And then the extension, the pause is now extended to the end of the month. What does the next four weeks look like? He said these next two weeks are going to be uh, pretty bad, pretty painful for all of us. But what happens at the end of the month? We'll have to see. And the reason that the 30 days was expanded on top of the original 15 is because these mitigation tactics work. And it's so great for the American people to know that they are part of the solution. 
if you stay six feet apart from someone, if you're doing that social distancing regularly, if you're staying inside as you've been asked to do by the federal government and certainly by your, by your governors and local leaders, then you are helping to slow the spread. We've seen the positive results of that. And as I sit in the task force meetings every day, as I talk to our scientists and other health professionals, there's really no substitute for that. And I think often Americans are told, you're, this is the problem, this is the challenge, do this, do that. But here we're part of the solution. So the old saying, um, prevention is an ounce of cure, that's really true of mitigation here. In addition, as the president goes out there and talks about every day, gives the progress report of the regulations, the red tape that have been reduced, or the emergency approvals the FDA has done on a rapid test. You can get the results in minutes on the convalescent plasma for some seriously ill patients and some other approvals, sterilization of masks, for example. All these emergency approvals, all of the lifting of the regulations and red tape off of our hospitals and healthcare workers, sometimes this takes years. It's taken a matter of weeks. So the billions of dollars that have been invested, the millions of supplies that have been deployed, the thousands of military doctors and and um, National Guard, the dozens of companies that have stepped up, some of who have been highlighted, some who don't want any credit, don't need it, just want to help. It's really been an incredible effort on behalf of America. But the President of the United States and our Commander-in-Chief standing up and saying the next couple of weeks are going to be brutal tells us all how important it is that we pay attention and we comply with some really simple asks. Might, might not surprise you, uh, but the former Vice President Joe Biden, very critical of the president's, president's handling of this. And he brought up an idea. He said the president should call up President Obama for help. Will he? Well, the president was asked that question. I think it's really disappointing to have uh, President Obama's number two, who apparently doesn't talk much to him, uh, out there criticizing instead of saying, hey, here's what we did. Uh, that we thought was effective. Why doesn't Pre Vice President Biden call the White House today and offer some support? He's in his bunker in Wilmington. And I have to tell you, we're not talking about politics here at the White House at all. Uh, we're talking about ventilators and vaccines, not Biden and Bernie. There's really no time for that. But it's very disappointing when you see the criticism. I think the critics and the naysayers seem so much more small and so much more shrill and unhelpful and petty than they ever have. Uh, speaking of Democratic leaders, though, I have to tell you, sitting on these calls with the president, the vice president and the governors, I have to tell you that the ones that leak the audio tape and try to get the information and go on all the TV shows, hooray, instead of being on the ground with the, with FEMA, with the patients and hospitals and healthcare workers and first responders, I want to point out to you something that has not been revealed. There were four consecutive female Democratic leaders, the mayor of D.C., the governor of New Mexico, followed by the governor of Maine and then the governor of Guam. Four Democratic female leaders in a row on that call two short days ago, um, thanking the president, the vice president, the task force for providing information, supplies, services, and then making specific asks. But there, were, there are no politics for them on that phone call. They're saying, thank you so much for the federal government's response. Here's what my state, my territory, the District of Columbia needs next. Uh, thanking for the 29 emergency disaster declarations that have been approved. Thanking for the Title 32 approvals. Uh, thanking the fact that we've got, we're converting hotels to hospitals. 
that these regulations that pre would have prevented clinics and surgical centers and dormitories uh, from being stand-up uh, health healthcare providing facilities are they're able to do that now so it's right. regulation after regulation move after move and I think the critics uh, seem small I guess I would ask uh, Vice President Biden why he can't call and lend a hand and isn't it a time doesn't he think he would actually do better by calling here and trying to help but really what would he say what would he have to say uh, the, the president our president's made very clear that he right. feels that we were we were we inherited a, ba a bad and broken system and that's true i mean the t testing ecosystem and the surge of supplies that we've been able to do in short time is impressive but it needs to continue because people still need supplies right. testing 1.1 or 1.2 million by today people particularly our healthcare workers our first responders but making sure that uh, people who need a test who have the symptoms who health care professionals have said you should get a test are getting that test and admiral jawar did a fantastic job in short time right. coordinating that Kellyanne, today's a tough day. It's April yes. 1st. Uh, forget about April Fool's Day. It's the day that rent is due for a lot of people. And there yes. are a lot of small businesses across the country that are trying to figure out what do we do. They're still waiting for their checks. Uh, you know, who am I going to have to lay off? Who am I going to be able to keep? I know you're in those task force meetings, and I know this is a big concern for the task force and the country as well for the small business people who are looking in on this wednesday morning what's your message to them my message to them is please take advantage of the over 370 uh, million dollars a billion dollars that that is in the latest package for them and they need to get in touch with the small business administration the department of treasury is also managing that folks don't feel like you're getting a handout from the government don't be proud this is this is for you this is because you are in economic dire straits temporarily through no fault of your own and the paycheck protection piece of this is meant to sustain them so they can keep the payroll they can keep people working uh, I also would would say um, how great it is that the that the nonprofits are included in that now because our nonprofits provide such important services to our communities including daycare and food banks for example so they will be able to continue. But folks, ask the questions, call in, get on the website. We're trying to manage that, implement that. And Secretary Mnuchin has said that the paychecks will be directly deposited or sent through the mail to you within a matter of weeks. We also ask the landlords out there okay. and the banks out there to show compassion and coordination and collaboration and, and, and make sure that there is forbearance here and forgiveness for folks who are temporarily in economic dire straits. Look, there's, these, there's been three packages coming from the Hill to the President's desk in about the last two or three weeks that he has signed into law. Those are meant to provide direct relief to individuals and industries that are in specific distress. We're trying to give hope, but also money where there is despair. And uh, there will be, the president says light at the end of the tunnel, there will be the great American comeback. It's not tomorrow, it's not next week, but it is coming and Americans will be part of that. And until then, thank you for the social distancing. Thank you for making simple sacrifices uh, with, for yourself and within your homes uh, so that we can mitigate the spread of this virus. Here's the question you have to ask yourself. So we're um, under lockdown, right? We are being put into our homes. We are being forced to be with our family. Do you know how many families right now are fighting because they're not used to being around each other 24-7? I'm actually quite glad that I have a 
good relationship uh, with my children because we'd be bickering all the time and more so because we know how to be alone too, even though we're together, if that makes sense. So this is a time of stress for some people to kind of get back into their own home. But I wanted to tell you what Kellyanne was saying throughout this thing. Remember, she said the first things first, you know, this isn't a handout. It is not. You are a casualty of this war to no fault of your own. And I want you to pay attention to all those flights you cancel, to all the payments you can't make because, you know, your credit card, car payment, whatever, they're all going to say coronavirus. You know, they're going to get insurance, right? (laughs) The insurance industry is going to topple. The one thing we didn't talk about is credit agencies. That needs to be addressed because I foresee those that harmed people further from February till this is over because of economic distress will no longer be around. It'll be a better America. And you know what's exciting? We're going to see which nonprofits are actually nonprofits. She said this is where, you know, they're going to shine because they won't be able to hide. Hey, nonprofit, got some money. What'd you do? Oh, yeah, so we had like uh, office expenses, but everyone's on lockdown. Yeah, so we had to... um pay salaries. Right. So when you got this money for patients that, you know, have, I don't know, ALS, for example. So Joe Schmo gave you a dollar. So where's the penny that's due to that one patient? And this is why I don't donate to big charities directly to people. Why do we need an organization to donate for us? Why can't we just walk into a hospital ward, see a person that's sick and say, Here's a check for $1,000, man. I hope this helps. Why can't we find the mom that's smoking 20 packs of cigarettes outside of the hospital while her kid is dying? And you go there with a box of food and say, hey, thought you could use a meal. Uh, I'll tell you um, a story. So when I was working um, at the lab with the apes, which was the funniest one, where they would get high, drunk, <laughs> and stoned uh, at the university, there was a mom. She was no more than, what, 24 years old, single mom. Her son had cancer. Cancer that, you know, the child never asked for. It happened, you know, very quickly. And She had barely finished high school because she was pregnant when she was graduating high school. And I would see her sleeping, you know, with the child. And she would take a shower at the gym because I caught her in the showers. You know, she was like, I never thought that you would have tattoos, (laughs) you know. Um, And, you know, I got to know her. And I realized that this woman was doing everything for her child. Uh, She was literally selling herself to support the child throughout this ordeal. And she slept with the child and everything. And that's when, um, you know, we decided, a bunch of us, that didn't have much. Remember, I I was a mom. I worked and I was studying and I was doing research, all of that. 
I mean, you would think, you know, I wore so many hats and I still do. And, you know, we all just like, we're like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to Starbucks today. Here's my pool. Every day we would be providing her money. Students that didn't have, that were living off of loans. We would, not because any of them knew what she did, but because we realized that she was living in the hospital and everything she was doing, because you could see like what she was wearing when she was going and how and what. And but I'm just saying she was a mess. Well, today that, that, that woman actually, um, graduated college last year. The child is in remission and she is pursuing uh, research in cancer biology, which is excellent. And that's because instead of her accessing government access or hoping for some charity that she applied to so many times, like why wouldn't they? Like this person really need, they didn't even have a house. It was people that help people. And so in this time where we're all suffering, do you have a dollar? Give 50 cents to someone. Do you have a piece of bread? Give half of it to the person next to you. It's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. This is how we unite and we meld and we mesh. This is how we show resilience by getting back to the basics and understanding that we're all in it together and where we go on, we go all. And if we all move together into the same direction, it's beautiful, beautiful. It's not, well, I, you know, I don't want to see that. I don't want to know that. I, I don't want to do uh, This is uncomfortable for me. That's not what we have to do. What we have to do is stare it in the face. Cause right now the fact that we're on lockdown could be because there is a possible and deployed bioweapon against the people. Um, Reading the World Health Organization's um, first report on coronavirus, they made it clear that human-to-human transition was not happening. Are you listening? Are you listening? And we did identify that on the site where it's open source with the genetics that they identified two hosts, human with a capital, human with a little H. So you have to think to yourself, WHO used human with a lowercase, not with a capital. So here we go back to what is really going on. Are these Corona bracelets? Is it really it? I mean, it's not like we can march them all down to Tartarus, you know, and, and parade them around. We need to make sure, oh gosh, casualty of this darn virus would be the best way to go. And another thing people need to understand is that they are still on it. They are still moving forward with hope that they will muster enough to get what they wanted to do done. And remember I mentioned Cuomo and his nipple gate and his nipple self, right? Really funny. It's like so weird. Is it like a pain thing? Why does he have nipple rings? The governor of New York City sat there on a global platform because for some reason everyone wants to listen to Cuomo and they're like, you know, they won't stream the president of the United States talking to the nation and addressing the nation, which in fact is almost like a mini rally. Uh, but they put Governor Cuomo and he was out there with his nipple rings on full show. And yet Here's what they had to say. 
Andrew Cuomo, there's been some speculation that because he's handling the coronavirus uh, threat here uh, in the New York area the way he is, I, I just saw a poll this morning, his approval rating on handling this is in the 80s. Uh, there's some suggestion that, you know, wouldn't he have been a better candidate for the Democrats than Joe Biden? I, I saw the New York Times uh, editorial to that effect yesterday. What, what do you make of that kind of talk? Well, one of the reasons his uh, numbers are high on handling it is because of the federal government. Because we give him ships and we give him ventilators and we give him all of the things that we're giving him, Steve. And, you know, we're giving him a hospital. We're giving him four hospitals and four medical centers and all of the things that we've done. So, I mean, one of the things, and I think he'd admit this, one of the reasons he's been successful, if I said, no, we're not giving you four hospitals, and we're not giving you four medical centers, and we're not sending you a ship, that he's got a whole, and we didn't give them thousands of ventilators, by the way, and millions of masks, because we've sent them a lot of stuff. Well, one of the reasons he's successful is because we've helped make him successful. Now, if he's going to run, that's fine. I wouldn't mind running against Andrew. I, understand, I know Andrew for a long time. I wouldn't mind that. But... I'll be honest, I think it'd be a better candidate than uh, Sleepy Joe. Uh, I wouldn't mind running against Andrew. I don't mind running against Joe Biden. I, I watch these critiques of me, uh, and they're highly sophisticated critiques. I said, you know, where they're written out, uh, Joe Biden has said, and then they put this very highly sophisticated statement out. I said, Joe Biden didn't write that statement, and Joe Biden doesn't even, I guarantee he didn't even see that statement. So, no, I think probably Andrew would be better. I'm telling you right now, you know, I want somebody at this country that that's going to do a great job. And I hope I'm going to win. And the polls say I'm going to win. Now it's every poll says I'm going to win because, you know, you say he's gotten good marks, but I've gotten great marks on what we've done with respect to this. I've gotten great marks. And even from almost every Democrat governor. So I've gotten great marks also. But. Uh, we want to always make sure that we have a great president. We have somebody that's capable. I somebody that has the magic balls to pull them out and say enough. Somebody that's willing to fight for you, even though they keep getting attacked. You know, remember, there's always the perceived and actual. When did it happen? When did it actually happen? That's what people have to think of. The president is right. All of us should be advocating for a president that we feel confident. We feel confident that he's got our back. We feel confident that he is looking out for us. These are the things that you should all want. You shouldn't just hate someone. What has he done to you? What has this president done for you? He's been fighting for you from day one while he is fighting for his own life and yours and you just don't even know it. Congress is going to have some spring cleaning going on that's going to be insane. I don't know if it's going to be because they get sick, but there's going to be some serious deep spring cleaning. And, you know, our president shouldn't be out there. He should not be out there saying, well, my numbers are great. My numbers are awesome. <sighs> that's the thing. One, two, three. Comey, Comey, Comey.
putting out pictures of bunkers and forests and stupid little blue jacket and a smile. We got you. And it's all predictable because it's already written in stone. Because, you know, I like to say it all the time. I'm a time traveler, right? I always say that. I have a crystal ball. I could do, you know, I could tell you. Mm. But the thing is, the one thing that every single person can predict are clowns. Creatures of comfort, these ridiculous, sold out, sorry excuses for humans because they bow down to other, I guess, priorities. You know, it is pretty interesting how we see things moving forward. It is interesting how people are now retrospectively, right? looking to what happened in the past and understanding where we are today. And that's what we must be doing all the time. We need to pull from history. We need to pull from past events so that they make sense today. If you look into the background of every single person that you supposedly elected, you know, as a constituent of them from, you know, your Republican to Democrat, Senator, House member, local guy, you'll see that you were swayed by glitter and gold by, oh, look, he's so successful. He's got such a good family. He has a lot of friends. He has a really nice boat, too, and a nice car. He's got his stuff in order. He's definitely the candidate. (laughs) Is he, though? That's the thing. Is he though? How do you go forward? I mean, look at where we're at, you guys. We're at this tipping point and it's been the tipping point. This has been the tipping point, not just for the United States, but for the world. And when I, when I said that the president is a planetarch, you know, years ago, I meant it. Because a planetarch doesn't mean I govern the whole planet. A good leader makes other leaders. And this is what we're seeing, that people are rising to the challenge and coming up to the challenge. I said to you that the European Union will be no more. Look at them burning the flags. They're all waking up. They all know it's BS. They all know that, you know, maybe these deaths are being laundered. I'm being dead serious. They've been lying every step of the way. We have over 7,000 people, seven, over 7,500 people a day die in America. How do you know... Some of these aren't being said that they're coronavirus when they're not. They need the numbers to match what they tell you or else their narrative fall flat. And, you know, I was so glad to see Scott Adams retweet something. I mean, we had a conversation yesterday. You guys remember I did like a show where I talked about 20 minutes, 20 minutes. I was talking about Pelosi and her fortune cookie and going down and how she's going to skew this into racism and how this is a really important thing to remember, because that's going to be the evidence right there that they knew about coronavirus and yet they said it was racist and it was nothing. And he's right. He retweeted it and said, I don't know why this isn't a bigger story. Why isn't it a bigger story? Ask yourselves, guys. Why isn't the fact that Pelosi was parading around 35 days ago with, you know, all these dildo waivers in San Francisco saying that the travel ban on China, that he started the president started 61 days ago right 61 days ago was racist and xenophobic now she's they're trying to say oh he delayed everything girl listen to her exciting to be here especially at this time 
uh, to be able to be unified with our community. Uh, we want to be vigilant about what it might be on the, uh, what is out there in other places. We want to be careful about how we deal with it. But we do want to say to people, come to Chinatown. Here we are. We're, again, careful, safe, and come join us. That's where she was talking about, oh, you know, did you know that the machine they make fortune cookies with is like right here, made in America type thing? So she had a Freudian slip there. Did you catch it? Listen to it again. At this time, uh, to be able to be unified with our community, uh, we want to be vigilant about what it might be on the uh, what might be on the horizon. Ah, you mean you knew because you planned this because this was planned from a long, long time ago. The problem is, is that we have lost the ability to hear things. Because we have been so conditioned to be spoon-fed information that we no longer listen. And it could be because visual and audio together create a combination. This is why sometimes, you know, if you watch a silent film, it's a lot more fun than, you know, listening to the audio. Watch a film in English, right? But take the volume off and put on closed captions. You're going to be more into the movie with only your eyes being stimulated than anything because visual and audio output combined can change the way you see things. Sometimes it's very interesting. And this is why when I write articles, I know a lot of you have, <laughs> have gone back and seen things. And you're like, wait a minute, you put that there. That was really random. I've had a lot of people say that. And it's like, well, Makes sense now though, right? Three years later, two years later, totally makes sense. Because when you read something, your interpretation is solely yourselves from a subjective point of view. When you hear something, right, it's still subjective on how you interpret it when you receive it, but you can also feel the emotion coming through. So seeing things is completely subjective because there's no background to it. If you take out the visual and you're only listening, right? And you're only listening, then that changes it too, because that's where you connect with the other person. This is why music is so, uh, you know, so embedded into your psyche. Like for me, I'll tell you what I knew from that one moment in my life where I knew that I was being sent to the slaughter like a lamb um, for standing up for something. And I didn't even stand up that tall. Okay. It was just like whiplash because, you know, I have a sharp tongue sometimes. Um, it was at that point that I stopped enjoying music. I don't know how many of you feel that, but I think that is where um, we realize that we don't want an auditory, uh, we don't need auditory stimuli, but we want visual. And that's where people start to hit the books. Uh, they start to get isolated and they start to watch things more. And um I want all of you to kind of yourself, you know, examine that. Think, when was the last time you heard music and how you felt? Do you, uh, you know, drown yourself in music? Do you enjoy it? Especially during this time of turmoil for the past three years. Because right now we're at that peak where we don't know if we're coming or going. We don't know what's fact or fiction. And today, April Fool's, everything's fiction, right? So this is where... 
you know, you need to think I'm getting into April. It's going to be a good month. And you know, it's a habit as a, a Greek and I hate the word Greek, but I have to use it because if I say I'm a Helene, you'll be like, what's that? Um, so as a Greek, there's a saying every first of the month, people wish each other a great first of the month. Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should say, I hope all of us have a good month this month. Um, because I really think this is going to be an amazing month. And, you know, it's at times where we're rock bottom, times where we're vulnerable and times that we're being put under pressure that we make diamonds. I mean, diamonds are made under pressure and changes and evolution and evolving in any species, then this is scientifically proven. It's only done when there is pressure, a pressure for change, when something changes in your environment. And right now, all of us have been pulled out of our comfort zone and pretty much we're free falling. <laughs> you don't have to be an expert to free fall. Because if you remember, what have you always been saying? Oh, you can move mountains, right? You can create the mountains, guys. You could do anything you want. So this is where we make a lemonade out of lemons or let's turn, you know, water into wine. We can do that because we're resilient. And that's the thing about mankind is that we're resilient species um, because we were made in his image. So in in the next um, hour, we're going to be talking about um, uh the things that are coming to fruition and surfacing um, talk about some uh, some things that are going to be coming and you know talk about you know April 19th it's a really important day I mean for me it is because it's Easter Sunday and I'm really hoping that uh, by Easter this should all be you know good to go and it's also Passover for the Jews that that week leading up to that Sunday and um, April 19th is also a very special day again because that's the day that the revolution began in 1775. That's when we said, uh, no more. I'll see you in a bit. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So, always here, Monday through Friday, 12 to 2. I love it. Um, I love being with you. I, You know what? It makes me so warm inside, seriously, when I see you know, um, one listener had, I had posted that dude, Matto, right? And the, the comment right under it was like, who's that dude? <laughs> Loved it. I uh, simply adore you guys because you're on it. And, you know, the rest of the world is coming on the same page, too. And that's why everyone can't sleep. They can't think. They can't eat. They don't know what day it is. And they're freaking out because did they go there? Yes, they did. Because the minute the president said, oh, you know, I want to get this thing open by Easter. Uh, 
Who knows? Maybe we had tainted batches of coronavirus tests. Who knows? Because they're going to need to get those numbers. Who knows? I mean, I know we need about 150 somewhat thousand of them, right? That's how many seals we got. So, you know, we got to think of, uh, you know, what is really going on here. Now, I don't know if any of you actually caught um, what Tucker said um, yesterday in regards to bats, but I think it's important that I that I that I play this clip for you um, because it tells you. Well, it hints you to the right direction. Take a listen. China University of Technology uploaded a paper on the origins of coronavirus. Where did it come from? Well, this offers some clue. At the time, the official death toll in China from the coronavirus was 564. The paper made a number of notable observations and claims that are worth knowing about, and that's why we're telling you. We want to be clear that we're not endorsing any of these conclusions. We haven't independently confirmed them. We can't. But you should keep in mind as you hear this that these findings come from Chinese scientists who work for a university that is controlled by the Chinese government. So whatever else they are, the views you're about to hear are probably not racist anti-Chinese propaganda. Here's what the paper says. First, the scientists confirm what scientists around the world have said they believe. The virus most likely came from an animal known as the intermediate horseshoe bat. Here's the striking thing. There are no known colonies of this bat within 900 kilometers of Wuhan. Nor is there any evidence that they were sold in the Wuhan wet market, despite many claims in the American media to the contrary, including on this show, by the way. Last night we did a segment on wet markets, the one in Wuhan included, and suggested that this bat was sold there. But let's be clear, the only actual analysis of that question that we're aware of is in this paper. These scientists interviewed almost 60 people, 59 of them, who frequented the Wuhan wet market. They confirmed there were no horseshoe bats for sale there, period. So that raises the question, where did the virus-carrying bats come from? And the paper says this, quote, We screened the area around the market and identified two laboratories conducting research on bat coronavirus. Within a few hundred yards of the wet market was something called the Wuhan Center for Disease Control and Prevention. According to public reports, the center used intermediate horseshoe bats for research. Then about seven miles away was another facility. This one was called the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The Virology Institute also conducted research on intermediate horseshoe bats, the ones that were not sold at the wet market. South China University scientists concluded that the coronavirus pandemic, the one that people are dying from here, likely came from one of these two government labs in Wuhan. They noticed that a scientist at the Wuhan Center for Disease Control and Prevention had been exposed to the blood and urine of horseshoe bats. They also suggested that infected tissue samples from research animals may have wound up in the Wuhan wet market. And they ended the paper this way, quote, The killer coronavirus probably originated from a laboratory in Wuhan. Safety levels may need to be reinforced in high-risk biohazardous laboratories. Regulations may be taken to relocate these laboratories far away from city centers and other densely populated places, end quote. How's that for interesting? Now, this paper has been online for nearly two months, and so far it has been virtually ignored in this country. Almost nobody in American journalism has dared to write about it. The few who have were immediately attacked as dangerous conspiracy theorists. Instead of assessing what seem like the rational conclusions presented in the Chinese paper, 
there was a spate of American news stories and academic research designed to show that the coronavirus absolutely could not have been engineered in a Chinese lab. They sounded supremely confident of that. But do they really know it? And the answer is no, they don't. As a factual matter, it is impossible for Western scientists to settle the question either way. So instead of doing that or admitting that, they amped up the rhetoric, hoping that you wouldn't notice the difference. A post on the National Institutes of Health website, written by NIH Director Francis Collins himself, dismisses any such speculation as, quote, outrageous. Keep in mind, NIH is supposed to be keeping you safe from diseases like this one, not running political interference for hostile foreign governments. This is how they're spending their time as Americans die in the middle of a global pandemic. And still, no one addressed the substance of the claims. The South China University paper concludes that the virus probably escaped accidentally from a lab in Wuhan. It said not one word about bioweapons. Yet the NIH and USA Today and countless other outlets have devoted thousands of words to scolding you for thinking the virus may have been a form of biological warfare. Notice that's a totally different claim than the one made in the paper. And that's not accidental. One of the surest signs that people are lying to you is when they answer questions you didn't ask. And that's exactly what the professional class is doing with this story. And they're doing it on many fronts. They're lying to you. They're claiming to know things they don't know. They're dismissing the obvious as impossible. They're blaming you for their failures. And the media are helping them do it. The stakes are too high to let them continue this way. So no matter what, stay skeptical as you assess the world. Remain rational. Gather your own evidence and come to your own conclusions. You shouldn't have to do that. You ought to be able to trust the people in charge. But you can't. So at this point, you have no choice. You do have no choice. How can you trust them? You can't trust the people that are in power to help you, to tell you the truth. They will lie, 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 and lie again. Those that actually know the truth can't sleep. Those that think they know the truth or know a slitter, a little, 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 little bit of the truth still can't sleep. <laughs> what does U.S. intelligence say about that? Hmm. You know, when we're on an airplane... Right. And, you know, something's afoot and the captain comes on the phone and says, dude, I'm deploying the masks. You know, the first thing you do is you put the mask on a child. You save the children first and then everybody else. And then everything else comes. Then you put the table up. Then you bend over. Then you get the life jacket. Then, then, then it's always the children first. Right. Because it is our sacred duty, no matter what species on the planet you are, right, to look after your children. Lions and tigers and bears look after their kids. Wolves do too. And so you have to think, if we're going to be helping those that are vulnerable, does that make us vulnerable? It does not. It empowers us because that is what you will be relying on, okay? The whole essence of what we're going through right now is confusion. What we are getting is confusion. What we are seeing is confusion, and it's purposeful confusion. It's so that you can't realize what is really going on. You can't fathom what is really going on.
That's the thing. Now, I wanted to um, have one of the people that I, I, I actually adore him and I'm so proud of him. I wanted us to listen to Nunez and what he has to say in regards to the economy and what is happening. Because we've seen this movie before and it happened. It started in 1919 and it was full-blown in 1920, literally 100 years ago. So uh, he was on Ingram and he spoke. And I want you guys to listen to him because he says a lot of things are going to be changing. And that's true. We can't just unplug, like he said, the economy and expect it to go business as usual. You can't just say, all right, we're here. Everybody go. You know, people aren't going to be able to go because the people that have been locked up in their homes with no job won't be able to go to the bar, the restaurant, the clothing store, Best Buy, you know, whatever, because they have no money. So the economy is going to be completely different in the way it looks. It won't go back to normal. And, uh, you know, what he said was interesting. I want you guys to listen carefully to what he says. Are needed to get this vaccine tested, done, designed, and ready to go as soon as possible so we can go back to being a free country. If that's the metric, then we all need to know that now. So last night I called on Congress to come back, come back to DC, do your job, be part of the whole of government approach. Yeah, and if that means allocating more money to get a vaccine on the market faster, then so be it. President Trump says this is a war, so let's act like it. Now, as I said earlier, Congress was in session almost continuously throughout World War II and during most of the disease pandemic in recent history. Well, of course, the 1918 Spanish flu, where members of Congress stayed on Capitol Hill to pass vital public health legislation. They put their lives on the line, literally. That outbreak actually killed a handful of lawmakers. Joining me now is Senator and doctor, an old friend, Senator John Barrasso of Wyoming and California Congressman Devin Nunes. Um, Senator Barrasso, let's start with you. You're also a, a physician. Uh, every time someone has an ache and pain on Capitol Hill, they call you up. Um, so w why not have Congress come back to, to ask some of these questions about the metrics that we're using, the studies that we're using, given what's at stake for our country if this shutdown uh, goes on much past April 30th. The president called me this morning and uh, his number one concern, of course, is the health and safety of the American people. And we have just passed the largest bill in the history of the United States that the president signed, uh, the CARES Act, uh, aimed at providing our medical uh, caregivers everything that they need, taking care of our families, our small businesses and our hard hit sectors. What we need to do is make sure that is implemented properly. The last thing we need to do is to pass another bill on top of that. We need to make sure, and I'm visiting with hospital administrators and doctors in Wyoming and small business owners, this is where I need to be making sure that this $2 trillion bill is implemented properly. Uh, Congressman Nunes, uh, you heard that during the pandemic of 1918, during World War II, uh, Congress was in session almost continuously, very few breaks. Uh, and I know everybody wants to get home with their families, but I mean, we, we have Americans who are freaking out either from getting this disease, a virus, or from losing their job and never getting it back. 
Uh, and they're, they're, not, they're not sure what the ultimate success rate will look like. And it's, it's, they're legitimate questions that people are having. Thoughts? Well, look, I think it is important that we get back as soon as possible. Uh, but as Senator Barrasso said, right now we still have an issue that most people and employers and employees don't understand that employers get two weeks of sick leave. Still a lot of businesses still have not implemented that. That's a way to keep two weeks of everybody still working. That's part of the money that we did in, in phase one. People don't understand that. In phase two that we just passed last week, two and a half times the payroll that businesses can go and borrow and get that money ultimately turned into a grant. Uh, so I am dealing with, with all of these issues, trying to get this message out. I think, you know, quite frankly, all the, of America's politicians and the media need to stop looking at the death counters. Uh, and I think you're very right. We need to look at the death rate. Let's see what that's going to do. We need a lot more data. But let's stop looking at the death counters and let's talk about how we can pe- keep as many people employed as possible. That's the key right now, Laura, because if you don't, what you said earlier is correct. When you have people staying at home, not taking care of themselves, you will end up with a hell of a lot more people dying uh, by other causes than you will by uh, the coronavirus. Uh, uh, Senator Barrasso, uh, there was a moment at yesterday's press briefing that a lot of people had their eyes, eyebrows raised after, after watching it. I want to play it for you and get your reaction. Let's watch. Roadmap also talks about um, doing GPS for social distancing, maybe follow, following people's phones, and hotels for isolation for people, um, giving them free hotel rooms. Are, are those ideas that you're looking at? Well, the GPS, that's a very severe idea. I've been hearing about a GPS, and so what happens a siren goes off if you get too close to somebody? That's pretty severe. We're taking a look. I just, I just received it a little while ago. He sent it over. He's talking about the roadmap to recovery that the former FDA commissioner wrote over at AEI. He sits on a bunch of uh, pharma boards as well, which is fine. But part of that roadmap included a possible GPS tracking, Senator Barrasso, of individuals under these state lockdown orders. Do you support in any way the administration ever going even close to that? The president certainly didn't seem to to believe that would be uh, something we would require. Uh, Well, I agree with the president. No, I don't think we ought to go that way. Look, this coronavirus has impacted the lives and the livelihoods of so many. It should not impede on our liberties as American citizens. So I'd be opposed to what they're doing, what the recommendation is. They're talking actually about doing that in Europe. That's been written about as well. I just can't imagine the American people uh, would be willing to do that. I think the most important thing we could do, and you've been really good at pointing this out in terms of jumping ahead of this, is doing the kind of research that's being done with all of these different medicines. There are about five different medicines that are being tested, not the old scientific double blind, give them a sugar pill approach. See what is working in the field, even if it isn't a cure, these are medicines that are available and we know are safe because people have been taking them for years. And even if they don't give a full cure, if they can lessen the symptoms or get somebody back healthy sooner, I think that is going to be the breakthrough much sooner than a vaccine, which even the quickest vaccines can take two or three years to develop. Yeah, just back to that Gottlieb's roadmap that the White House, you know, they, Fauci, and they're, they're tight and they really rely on Gottlieb's advice. He basically says we can't go back to a normal life until we have a vaccine. That's basically what he says. That that would be not going back to normal life, Congressman Nunes, for 12 months. 
which if parents across the country are hearing yeah. that and workers, they're, they're, they're going to be showing up in Washington, even if y'all aren't here, okay? They're going to be coming to Washington yeah, to send yeah, y'all a message. Yeah, that, that's not going to work. I mean, look, the schools were just canceled out here in California, which is, you know, way overkill. I mean, you know, we, it's possible kids could have went back to school in two weeks to four weeks, but they just canceled the rest of the schools. Uh, so, look, I'm optimistic here. Uh, I think that the drugs that are on the market now, look how quick we were able to get this approved, this new malaria drug uh, that you've been talking about every night. There's a lot of optimism here that we, that we have in, in some of these drugs that are coming online. Uh, the vaccines are going to take a while. But look, we have this bill that we just passed last week, $2.2 trillion worth. We have to focus on keeping people employed. I will tell you this, if we don't start to get people back to work in this country over the next week to two weeks, uh, I don't believe we can wait uh, until you know, the end of April. I, I, just think, I, I just don't know of any economy that's ever survived where you unplug no. the entire economy and expect things to go back and be normal. So uh, you know, the more tests that are out there, the more people that are getting testing, uh, let's learn about the treatments, let's get good data as to who's being impacted, yep. and let's figure out a way to get back to work. All right, uh, Senator and Dr. Barrasso and Congressman Nunes, great to see you both. Stay safe out there. Excellent. Did you guys hear that? So we can't go back to normal, says Fauci, without a vaccine. When we all know that vaccines can't really be effective against what? Against viruses. Because they are unpredictable, they actually mutate at a fast rate. So then why are they ushering this um, whole shenanigan about... um, (laughs) vaccines because they need their numbers to matter. They need the numbers to match the fear that they're giving you. And that's the thing. I want you guys to go back in time with me to, um, 1949. So in 1949, the people's Republic of China was founded and that's after us finally lifting the embargo in 1948 and releasing the ships with the weapons that were supposed to be bound for China way before it. And, you know, Truman, while he was candidate Truman, because he, you know, began his term um, in January of 1949, before it had revealed his fair deal program. I just want to talk about this for a little bit because you'll understand it because what he did was create the CCP we see today. The atrocities that have been done against the people can never, ever go back. The GSA was established during that year. It all began. You know, you have to see history guys. The year that the president of the United States, the first foreign leader to dine in the Forbidden City. And remember, I talked about this and I said, this is pretty incredible stuff. Nobody gets to do it. And I could tell you from a fly on the wall, Rex Tillerson was there and he wasn't eating a salad. Rude. Guess what our president turned around and said? Eat your salad, Rex. I kid you not. But... What happened in 1949 that happened while the president was dining at the Forbidden City? They were trying to pass 
a lynch bill. Remember, they were talking about the lynch bill. Did you know that in 1949, it was the first year in which no African-American was lynched in the USA. It's almost as if they're going by the same template, bringing the same things over and over and over again. It's so bizarre. You would almost think that they have like a handbook and they're like, it's not going to fail as if someone's giving them directions and saying, you better stick to the script, stick to the script, stick to the script. The Secretary of Defense, James Forrestal, also resigned. Just all, all of a sudden, had nothing to do with the embargo of trying to help the Chinese. Had nothing to do with sending broken, with no screws, guns to the poor Chinese. Again, are the Chinese Chinese or are they just the pilot program for the cabal? You know, this is what's not being looked at. You know... <laughs> Back then, they used to love the state of Kentucky. It's a little bit different now. It's a little bit different now. What we see is a lot of miscommunication. A lot of issues that are coming, uh, you know, to the surface that we never believed we would see. We're learning, you know, CNN decided that they're not going to be airing the president's, you know, coronavirus updates. Why not? You can't have the people see the truth. Why would they decline to show the world what exactly is going on? Why would they not want you to see? Why wouldn't they want you to hear this? Our country is in the midst of a great national trial, unlike any we have ever faced before. You all see it. You see it probably better than most. We're at war with a deadly virus. Success in this fight will require the full, absolute measure of our collective strength, love, and devotion. Very important. Each of us has the power, through our own choices and actions, to save American lives and rescue the most vulnerable among us. That's why we really have to do what we all know is right. Every citizen is being called upon to make sacrifices. Every business is being asked to fulfill its patriotic duty. Every community is making fundamental changes to how we live, work, and interact each and every day. Our country is in the midst of a great national trial, unlike any we have ever faced before. Unlike any we have ever faced before. And that is so true. It rings so true to all of us that this is unprecedented. Is it, though? It's unprecedented that we're consciously going through this. That's a difference because we went through this again where it started in 1919 and we were whiplashed in 1920, exactly 100 years ago. It's almost like there's like a rule book of when and what to recycle things. You know, it makes you wonder things that make you go, hmm. And it's not just here. It's around the world. I mean, in the end, the president will decide how to handle this. But I can tell you, for those that are in under non-disclosure agreements, it's going to be pretty interesting to see how things are going to pan out. We've got ships in place that are offering comfort to those that need it. Ships in place to offer comfort to those that need it, not for coronavirus, but for those that need it. And the time has come and it's happening that we start looking, like he said, after the most vulnerable. 
I'll see you guys right after this short break. All right, welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So we're back, and we're going to see a humble version. Well, actually, listen to a humble version of George Stephanopoulos. I want you to take a listen to him speaking with the Army Corps of Engineer um, and how and pretty much being told what the military is doing. I want you guys to listen carefully to what is said here and remember his somber thanks tone much. thanks very much we now want to bring in the man spearheading the effort to build these sites all across the country these makeshift hospitals all across the country lieutenant general todd seminite general seminite thank you for joining us this morning and thank you for your service just give everyone a sense right now the scope of the mission you're facing so, George, first of all, on behalf of all of us in the Department of Defense, I mean, our thoughts and prayers go out to all the people that are affected by this, so many different families, and we're just so committed to be part of this national team to be able to try to mitigate this in any way possible. The scope is immense, and there's really three different aspects of this. There's a shortage of sites or facilities, or that's what we're going to talk about today. Clearly, there's a shortage of supplies, and then there's a potential shortage of staff. So we're trying to work the facility piece, and we're looking right now at around 300 41 different facilities across all of the United States, very similar to the Javits Center. We've got eight contracts under gear right now, people in centers constructing facilities, probably about 8,500 beds. And then by the end of the day, we should have another five contracts awarded with somewhere around another 4,000 beds. We don't know where this is going to go. This is a state and local decision. But what the Corps wanted to do is to come up with an option so if we could be able to be able to mitigate this delta in some way, we're able to find a solution that states could employ. So when you're called in to retrofit a dorm, a hotel, take us inside that. What exactly happens? How do you do it? So um, you, you talked a little bit before coming in about the tent that's out there in Central Park. Think about establishing something on, you know, green grass. That's all for hard. You got to bring electricity in, water, all the utilities. Our concept, and when Governor Cuomo called us about two weeks ago, Secretary McCarthy from the Army said, get to New York and find out a solution. Our thought was make it extremely simple. Find an existing facility that already has all the codes, has heat, has water, has IT, has parking lots, and then just put in whatever we can, like a hospital, inside of that. Two big type of thoughts. One is hotels and dormitories. We're doing a lot of those. The other one is large, big open spaces, field hospitals and convention centers. And then us working side by side with the team. And it is a federal state team, HHS, FEMA. We go in and either put in temporary hospitals. We'll build rooms inside there. But the ability to be able to build out an existing facility. That's like Javits right now. We started out and basically got that a couple of days ahead of time and brought that in with about 29 hundred rooms that non-COVID people could be uh, be treated in. There's two types of facilities. Yeah. COVID is one kind, and that's a little bit more complicated with the pressure. And then there's non-COVID, very similar to what you're seeing in the comfort ship that's up there now. How do you stay ahead of the curve? Where do you expect to be next? 
The biggest thing probably is modeling, and we're taking a lot of guidance from vice president task forces. We're looking at some amazing analytics to be able to figure out where do we see the growth of the of the threat being more more than anywhere else, and then where do we see the bed shortage? So I've got a bunch of engineers in a back room who are looking at where do we see us having big shortages two or three weeks. I've got 43 different command commanders and an unbelievable amount of technicians, my civilians, who are talking to governors, mayors, saying, we anticipate you're going to have a shortage. What is your what is your solution? And here's some potential options. So it's the ability to array a standard solution that is vetted at the national level, but then decentralize. And what we've got to do here, George, is we've got to be able to come up with a minimum essential. We can't. We don't have time for the the perfect solution. We've got to be able to cut to the chase and get this ahead of need. And, and General, do you all have everything you need right now? I think we do. I think the biggest single thing is we've got to be able to make sure that decision makers at local and state levels really have to be able to probably think about what is worst case. And I'd much rather, uh, you know, take the time to convert a facility. And if it's not used in four weeks, it's going to be okay. But what the worst thing we want to do is to be able to have, um, you know, uh, the supply taken care of and the staff taken care of. And yet we have ambulances with nowhere to go. So that's where the Corps is really trying to step up on behalf of FEMA to try to set to be able to uh, mitigate this amazing delta. That means the, you know, the plus or minus sign here. But here's another plus or minus sign, and I want you guys to think about this. How did a Navy aircraft carrier get coronavirus? See, I've said this before, that this coronavirus is highly specific. It's being deployed in a very weird manner. And considering this whole social distancing thing, is it really helping? Because here we have a nuclear aircraft carrier that has more than 100 sailors being infected. And on Monday, the captain of the ship sent a letter to Navy officials requesting resources to allow isolation of the entire crew and to help them avoid deaths. In the letter, you know, which uh, was docked in Guam, okay, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit speechless, but... He said, this will require a political solution, but it is the right thing to do. We are not at war. Sailors do not need to die. If we don't act now, we are failing to properly take care of our most trusted asset, our sailor. He asked for compliant quarantine rooms on shore in Guam for his entire crew as soon as possible. Removing the majority of personnel from a deployed U.S. nuclear aircraft carrier and isolating them for two weeks may seem like an extraordinary measure. This is a necessary risk. Keeping over 4,000 young men and women aboard the Theodore Roosevelt is an unnecessary risk and breaks faith with those sailors entrusted in our care. The Navy did not respond to any requests from the press to make a comment. And um, on Tuesday morning, when this actually was starting to go around, the acting Navy Secretary Thomas Modley spoke to CNN. 
He said, I heard about the letter from Captain Crozier um, on Tuesday morning, you know, in the morning. I know that our command organization has been aware of this for 24 hours and we have been working actually the last seven days to move those sailors off ship and get them into accommodations in Guam. The problem is that Guam does not have enough beds right now, and we're having to talk to the government there to see if we can get some hotel space, create tent-type facilities. We don't disagree with the captain on that ship, but we're doing it in a very methodical way because it's not the same as a cruise ship. That ship has armaments on it. It's an It has aircraft on it. We have to be able to fight fires. If there are fires on board the ship, we have to run nuclear power plant. So there's a lot of things we have to do on that ship to make it a little bit different and unique. But we're managing it. We're very engaged in this and we're concerned about it. And we're talking to all and we're we're talking and we're taking all the appropriate steps. So you have to ask yourselves. Sailors do not need to die. This will be a political decision and say, hold on a second. How did the Theodore Roosevelt out in the Pacific get coronavirus? How did they get it? What tainted substance was used or ingested or yeah those are questions you need to ask so again how did they get coronavirus is the question you need to ask yourself now on that note i want to um play a clip from yesterday where the president um you know gave his coronavirus update and Here's the important part. There we go. Mm, it's not doing it yet. Hold on. Uh, because it is it is imperative that if you watch the presser from yesterday, that you see that the president avoided the trap question. How many people are going to die, president? What are the numbers? What are we looking at? And he didn't answer that. He let the doctors. And he said, you know what? I have my own numbers, but I'm going to let them do it. It was really important he does that uh, because it was at that point that, um, you know, they freaked out. They were like, oh, dear. Okay. Um, Yeah. So let's do this then. And that for me was one of the most interesting things I had ever seen and a most genius move. Take a listen. Absolute measure. Hey, I just read an unbelievable article in the Epic Times. I Okay. The Epic Times, I told you. Is Chinese, but you know, Chinese is code for clown agency. I just wanted to say that. So, um, gosh, they invade you everywhere. No matter if you're watching, if you're not watching, they'll just invade. They need you to be controlled. Here we go again. Let's try this again with no Chinese invasions. And I know people hate it that I said it, but they are Chinese. They are owned by China and they're still invading me, by the way. Uh, gosh, that, that communist party that we created, that's so out of control. Here we go. A great national trial. Oh, come on. Are you kidding? It's like they don't even want us to watch the, the coronavirus conference. <laughs> All right. 
We're going to try it another way. See, this is why I should... I'm in safe mode, you guys. I'm sorry. Usually, I download these videos and then delete them afterwards uh, to make sure that I'm not invaded by commercials. And right now, I don't know how many of you actually use YouTube on your... um, on your computers, uh, but you know YouTube has now decided that they will be um, blocking uh, blocking you the ability to see what you're clicking on until you actually watch a full advertisement, and it will literally overlay even if you skip through. It's only on your phone that you have the ability to um, skip over the commercials. You know where you get that option of skip ads, um, and that's the only time that you actually get to do that, which is pretty lame. All right, so here we go. We're going to try this again. Let's do this. Sydney is five years, but in China, 29 people. Here we go. And uh, okay, hospital, and that's in Louisiana, which really got hit. It started off very late, and it was looking good, and then all of a sudden, it it just reared up, came from nowhere. In addition to the supplies we're delivering. We're also giving hospitals the flexibility to use new facilities, including surgical care centers, to care for hospital patients who are not infected. For example, I know that many expectant mothers are understandably concerned about exposing their newborn babies to the virus, and they should be. With our action yesterday, hospitals now have the authority to create special areas for mothers to deliver their babies in a very safe and healthy environment, totally separate. Over the past two months, the U.S. State Department has organized one of the largest and most complex international evacuation operations in American history. Mike Pompeo has been working round the clock, along with Ambassador O'Brien. Since January 29th, we have successfully repatriated over 25,000 Americans from more than 50 countries where they were literally stuck, in some cases locked in. And I salute the incredible public servants at the Department of State, as well as their counterparts at DHS and HHS, who have played such an important role in doing this. You probably read about the young people in Peru and young people in Brazil, and uh, they were absolutely stuck and we got them out got them almost everybody is out now back home with their parents their wives their husbands i want every american to be prepared for the hard days that lie ahead we're going to go through a very tough two weeks and then hopefully as the experts are predicting as i think a lot of us are predicting after having studied it so hard you're going to start seeing some real light at the end of the tunnel but this is going to be a very painful very, very painful two weeks. When you look and see at night the kind of death that's been caused by this invisible enemy, it's, it's incredible. I was watching last night Governor Murphy of New Jersey. It's going to be a very, very painful two weeks. Day, 29 people died today, meaning yesterday, and Others talking about numbers far greater, but you get to know a state. I know New Jersey so well, and you hit 29 people and uh, hundreds in other locations, hundreds in other states. And this is going to be a rough two-week period. As a nation, we face a difficult few weeks as we approach that 
that really important day when we're going to see things get better all of a sudden. And it's going to be like a burst of light, I really think and I hope. Our strength will be tested and our endurance will be tried. But America will answer with love and courage and ironclad resolve. This is the time for all Americans to come together and do our part. I appreciate a lot of the media. We've had a lot of really good things said. I think only good things can be said when you look at the job that's been done. I just spoke with Franklin Graham, who's an extraordinary person. And uh, Samaritan's Purse has been, like so many others, just been amazing. And so fast. They did it so fast. He's been doing that for a long time. But I think people are really uh, seeing what they have done. Franklin Graham, very special family. As we send plane loads of masks and gloves and supplies to the communities battling the plague, and that's what it is. This is a plague. We also send our prayers. We pray for the doctors and the nurses, for the paramedics and the truck drivers and the police officers and the sanitation workers and, above all, the people fighting for their lives in New York and all across our land. I watched as doctors and nurses went into a certain hospital in Elmhurst this morning. I know Elmhurst, Queens. That's I grew up right next to it. I know the hospital very well. been seeing it all my life, my young life. And I will tell you that uh, to see the scenes of trailers out there and uh, what they're doing with those trailers, they're freezers, and nobody can even believe it. And I spoke to some of my friends, they can't believe what they're seeing. And I watched the doctors and the nurses walking into that hospital uh, this morning. It's like military people going into battle, going into war. The bravery is incredible. And I just have to take my hat. I would take my hat. If I were wearing a hat, I'd rip that hat off so fast. And I would say, you people are just uh, incredible. They really are. They're very brave. They're going in, and they don't know. You have you have lots of things flying around in the air. You don't know what you're touching. Is it safe? And you also see where you have friends that go into the hospital, and you say, how, how is he doing two days later? And they say, sir, he's unconscious, or he's in a coma. So things are happening that uh, we've never seen before in this country. And with all of that being said, the country's come together like I've never seen it before. And uh, we will prevail. We will win. And hopefully it will be in a relatively short period of time. With that, I'd like to ask Dr. Burks to come up and show you some of the latest, just the data that has been, uh, I think, brilliantly put together. And uh, right after that, I'm going to ask Dr. Fauci to speak, and uh, Mike Pence is going to give you some of the recent events that have taken place and some of the statistics that we have that I think will be very interesting here. Thank you very much. Okay, so before we get to that, I just wanted to say, eyes on Bush, eyes on Bush. Here we go. So I want to play another special part after he uh, read that speech. 
out on the highways and byways every day. And I want you to listen to what the president says here. And for those of you that, um, you know, want to see this, I, um, this is around the, uh, I guess about half an hour. Um, and it's after Pence speak. I want you to look at Fauci and, and, and scarf lady. Their arms are literally flailing as they're explaining things. They were in severe distress. Take a listen. Or Deb come up and say, I mean, I have numbers, but I'd rather have them say the numbers if you don't mind. It's a big. big Okay. Okay. You heard that, right? Wait, let me just rewind it just a little bit so you can hear the question and then his answer. Here is where his magic balls come out. Death toll. Should people be reasonably good at following these mitigation measures? Well, if they're reasonably good, I guess we could say that uh, I'd like to have uh, maybe Dr. Fauci or Deb come up and say, I mean, I have numbers, but I'd rather have them say the numbers if you don't mind. It's a big, it's a big question. So, of course, this is a projection, and it's a projection based on using um, very much what's happened in Italy and then looking at all the models. Um, and so, as you saw on that slide, that was our real number, that 100,000 to 200,000. And we think that that is the range. We really believe and hope every day that we can do a lot better than that um, because that's not assuming 100% of every American does everything that they're supposed to be doing. But I think that's possible. Over the next two weeks, is you, you said that the next two weeks are going to be very painful. Is the bulk of this going to happen over the next you know, two you weeks? You know, you have an upslope. So as mortality, the fatalities to this disease will increase, and then it will come back down, and it will come back down slower than the rate at which it went up. And so that's, that is really the issue, how how much we can push the mortality down. Yeah. So our hope is to get that down as far as, far as we possibly can. The, the modeling that Dr. Burke showed predicts that number that you saw. We don't accept that number that that's what's going to be. We're going to we do everything we can to get it even significantly below that. So, you know, I, I don't want it to be a mixed message. This is the thing that we need to anticipate. But that doesn't mean that that's what we're going to accept. We want to do much, much better than that. But, Doctor, when we look at the curve, it goes much further in time. So we would have deaths and cases for much longer. I mean, we do expect so you can slide number two. So that's a generic. I'm sorry, if you can go back to the slides and put up slide two. That's a, okay. So what I showed you was a generic picture of what happens in an epidemic when you mitigate. So no mitigation, mitigate. This is based on the experience around the globe with this particular virus. And so it does have a tail, but the peak you can see by this projection, and this is the IHME um, data, um, the peak is over the next two weeks. And, that's, uh, and this is tracking mortality. So the number of fatalities from this virus. And so that's the part that we think we can still blunt through the superb medical care that every client is receiving, but also even more stringent people following the guidelines. I can't see the small uh, characters, but are, are we seeing deaths until June? I can't really. This is June. This is June. So we would still see 
problems and deaths in June. It's a projection. It's a projection, of course. So, I mean, just getting back to what I said about the stepwise thing, deaths always lag. So you will be seeing deaths at a time when, as an epidemic, we're doing really, really well because the deaths will lag. Dr. Fauci, should Americans be prepared for the likelihood that there will be 100,000 Americans who die from this virus? The answer is yes. We need as, as sobering a number as that is, we should be prepared for it. Is it going to be that much? I hope not. And I think the more we push on the mitigation, the less likelihood it would be that number. But as being realistic, we need to prepare ourselves that that is a possibility that that's what we will see. In a very short period of time for that to happen. Right. Can the country handle that in such a short period of time within a couple of months? Yeah. 50,000 a month. You know, it will be difficult. I mean, no one is denying the fact that we are going through a very, very difficult time right now. I mean, we're seeing what's happening in New York. That is really, really tough. And if you extrapolate that to the nation, that will be really tough. But it, that's what it is, Jim, and we're going to have to be prepared for that. Yeah, I think because the model, that model that was from IHME, that's based and heavily laden by the data that has come in from New York and New Jersey and Connecticut. So, you know, that can skew to a higher peak and more significant mortality. If all of the other states are able, and all the other metro areas are able to hold that. Extended version will be live uh, shortly on iHeartRadio and on the podcast from all of us here at Red State Talk Radio. God bless. Eyes on Bush. <laughs>